Hi, this is Deo Muano. Welcome to Persevere to Excel podcast. I am super excited for this podcast interview and I have a good friend of mine. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. I am Lydia Foley. I own Purple Finch Properties in Nashua and uh, this is my first podcast experience. Wow, that's amazing. So excited. Thank you so much, Lydia, for um, coming and joining me on this podcast. And we actually met at Leadership New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, it's, it feels like it was so long ago. It does. It does. It. What were we, class of 2015? I actually 17? think 17. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah, 17. Best class ever. I, <laughs> so every class says. But it's such a, um, a unique setting where you're in a group of 30-plus um leaders from New Hampshire, and then you go around for an entire school year learning about the state and all of the different meeting so many people and learning about all the programs and cool things happening. It's just, um, I always love education and that was such a great experience and you make really great friends from it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I have to agree with you on that. And for me, it's actually interesting because during that time, I feel like the last like four years I've always been in transition. So I can't even <laughs> say like, oh, I was going through a transition. But I actually was going through a transition and I uh, I didn't think it was the right time for me to do it. But um, a good friend of mine was like, dude, you, you got to do yeah. it. Like there's not going to be a perfect time. time. Right. And um, I'm super grateful that I, I ended up doing the, the program that year. And sure. I learned so much. I learned yes. so much from, from me and I've been able to develop really good relationship and um, which led to us becoming friends yep. and connecting at different things. And now uh, you're on my podcast. Yes. This is amazing. Yes. So um, I usually start off with just a little question about New Hampshire. Like, sure. So right now, you know, the weather's been going, you know, below, <laughs> you know, be- below freezing. Yeah. Like, how, how do you deal with that? Hibernation, mostly. Um, real estate is a cyclical kind of career where spring and summer are very busy And then in the winter, it slows down a little bit, but the market has been so crazy that it really hasn't slowed down. So dressing in layers, wearing responsible footwear, um, and then just trying to be as flexible as possible when we do have big snowstorms that you really just have to juggle and rearrange your schedule to meet whatever your clients are um, when they're available or if you have listings that they're you know, shoveled out and ready to go for showings. But um, I usually like to hibernate and watch a lot of Netflix in the winter. And that hasn't really been the case so far this year, but um, it is cold outside. Any any cool show that you're you're, um, you're checking out on Netflix? Well, my only, I usually don't make New Year's resolutions, but the only resolution I had this year was to not watch um more murder documentaries or shows. Um, I have been on a path of spiritual evolution over the last few years and being more in tune with my emotions and intuitions and watching violence has really not been a good thing for me, but I did break that rule already once what's today january 23rd right um, right yes so i already didn't stick to the resolution but i did watch the aaron hernandez oh my um, documentary yeah i did too i, I did think too. i might watch it again it's <laughs> fascinating i i just um I, I mean there are so many different facets of that entire story that um you know obviously 
it was he committed so many crimes and and he took people's lives but also having compassion in some regard for this perfect storm of his his upbringing the abuse the brain damage it really is it to me i keep coming i think there's a word um sonder that Mm. is everybody's having a different experience and you know Having compassion and empathy for that is something that I walked away from, from that documentary of thinking like, man, you really just don't know what people have been through and what's going on inside of them. Not a, not just emotionally, but physically. I mean, do they have the frontal lobe capacity to make responsible decisions? Um, so it was, yeah, I think I'm going to watch it again. Wow, that's <laughs> wild. You know, I, I was just going to say that I spend a lot of time watching documentaries Mm. also on Mm -hmm. netflix and um i did watch the aaron hernandez one and it's actually fascinating because uh, i think it was like maybe a day or two days after he committed suicide sport illustrator did this incredible article and his brother tells the story so i was somewhat already familiar with his story but i remember the first time i read that um that article i had chills all over my body just yes just to get the perspective from his brother around right. their upbringing yes. and then the after effect of his brother's career mm-hmm. after, you know, the incident right. happened. Because he, he was, you know, on the pathway to become a, a college football coach. And after Hernandez was um, arrested, he um, he would apply for jobs and he wow, I didn't no, know that. nobody was selecting him. Right. So I remember reading that article. I was like, wow, this yeah. is this is wild so when i saw the update on the actual documentary on netflix i was like man do i really want to click on this like yeah, yeah, and then i, I started watching it and i yeah, was like i watched man, it all in one so night. many different moving parts and i think you know as humans I, th- I think you know there's there's ongoing battles that we wrestle with sure. and and um a lot of those experiences influence and shapes who we are and mm-hmm. we have the power and control to decide how we want it to affect us right and i think you know, it was interesting to see how that played out with um, Aaron Hernandez's story in that yes. documentary. Well, and I think that one of the um, folks in the documentary, Wiggy, he was on he was on the uh, Patriots, and he said there are thousands of people who play football. There are thousands of people who have brain injuries, and they don't go out and kill people. Right. But in my opinion, that this was a perfect storm of not having healthy coping skills, having um, early childhood trauma, not having a support system. And I think one of his friends also had said if he had been on any other team where he had been removed from this ecosystem of, um, you know, potential crime and old buddies and those kinds of things, uh, I mean, he was in Florida and he was doing the same things. But, you know, he if any of those factors had been different, the outcome probably would have been different. But what it comes down to is, is again, on the spiritual evolution path, really thinking about your own self-worth, your coping skills, when you're faced with conflict, how do you behave under duress? Um, is it anger and violence or is it some other, other technique that you can employ? But if you don't have people teaching you those skills, how can you know any different? Um, so it was very eye-opening for sure. Uh, 
and a complete 180, I did immediately start watching uh, 30 Rock from the beginning. Oh, okay. So that's a fun, easy, <laughs> no, you know, no emotional trauma show. Um, so yes, uh, went from the Aaron Hernandez documentary to to now I'm watching 30 Rock from the beginning. Wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a good balance. <laughs> what a way for us to start our, our interview here. Um, Lydia, you are a, an entrepreneur. Yes. You, you have an entre- entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. It seems like, you know, after getting to know you, it's, you know, I've identified that it seems like that's always been part of you. I would love for you to kind of just give us a little bit of a background of who you sure. are and how'd you get to where you are now and right. what you're doing. Well, I think like some of your other podcast guests, I, I've been working and have been responsible from a very young age. I think at 12, I took the babysitting course at St. Joseph's Hospital and I was passing out flyers to my neighbors. So I was babysitting several nights a week, every single week, uh, started working, at, you know, 14, um, worked through high school, went to school full-time um, and worked full-time through college. Sorry for interrupting, but what, what drove you to start working so early? Um, you know, I've always been responsible. I'm the older sister, single parent household, and um, I think self-inflicted maybe. I've always kind of been responsible and fell naturally into a leadership role. Um strong decision-making skills and just decided that this is kind of the path is, you know, going out, working hard, being financially independent and stable, um, trying to, I, most of my jobs have been in a service providing aspect. Mm -hmm. So the caretaker role is very natural for me. And uh, that translates well to real estate and providing a service as a realtor. And, it's um, just something that I think maybe unconsciously evolved um, from early on, it, but it served me well in a lot of ways. Um, so you said you were working in high school and then you also mentioned that you, you worked throughout college. Right. What was that transition like from, you know, from high school to college? Like if you can think sure. back within your, you know, your, your teenage mindset when you thought about your trajectory, what, what right. was that as a, you know, a junior or senior in high school thinking about your future? And- <laughs> well, I um, was probably a mediocre student. I really didn't participate. If I have one regret from high school, it would be not participating in clubs or sports and like really building out friendships. And I really just kind of went to school, did okay enough, and then went to work after school. And um, I would say that... It was always kind of a logical progression. There wasn't really a lot of emotion in my decision making. It's it was okay. Go to school. Go to college. Get a job. Um, I really didn't have very many hobbies or activities outside of that, and I didn't go live at school. Again, it was a practical. Um, in high school, I took as many college credits. Sometimes they think that you could pay like ninety dollars right. for college. So much co- cheaper. Yes. So I did as many of those as possible. Um, I went to National Community College for the first year, and then I transferred to SNU. So again, the most um, inexpensive, logical, crush through classes, get it done, learn some stuff, but just to kind of get to the next thing. What, what kind of informed you to be that strategic, right? Because most high school students, when they're graduating, it, it's like, 
I want that coming to age experience. I'm going right, to leave on campus. I'm right. going to do this. I'm going to do that. So I'm curious from you, like, sure. what made it so strategic for you to say, you know what, maybe the community college path is the best path and then transferring right. to SNU, but also commuting. Yes. And I worked full time. So actually, when I got to SNU, I was um, working full time. And then I would go at nighttime in Nashua or do online. And oh, wow. Same thing. I, I tested out of a couple of classes just mm-hmm. to get the credits done. And I think I graduated in three years, three and a half years or so. Um, and there wasn't a lot of emotion or really thought. And in there is something to be said for the college experience to live on campus and to network and to make friends and to have those memories. But none of that was a consideration for me. It was just go get it done. Um, try to be as efficient as possible. And, um, and I, I didn't even attend graduation. I just crushed through it. Oh, wow. Yeah. got my diploma in the mail. And what was your major? Uh, marketing marketing okay okay yeah which has served me well and i actually have used a lot of what i learned and um it's uh i had originally gone for uh, accounting accounting okay oh my gosh and i had a teacher that i just it we didn't i couldn't get i didn't get it and um that kind of changed the course so i switched over to marketing Um, I think even toward the end, I had a couple of custom classes that were like marketing projects that counted for the final credits that I did. And, um, and at that time, so I was working at a bank and then from there I went into like a technology role. Okay. Um, so it really was, it was more logic, not, uh, my theme, one of my many themes for this year is less logic, more wisdom, Mm. checking in with myself, what feels right, what, you know, what is it that I feel guided or pulled toward as opposed to what's the next logical step. And and how do you define logic for you? Because it sounds like, you know, some people might hear kind of your path, your path, the pathway you took and say, Man, she was being practical. She was, she was like on <laughs> well, top it of is, it. It is. It's a thought process, right? right? Like you're thinking things through and okay, if I have this end goal, how do I backtrack into the steps that would get me there? Okay, if I want to be in this career field, then I have to go to college for this. Then I should do this well in high school or not so well or what kind of other experience do I need? Um where does that clarity come from? Because it, it sounds like, you know, I work with university and, and colleges and high schools, uh, administrators all the time when they, you know, mm-hmm. they bring me in talking about student engagement. And it seems like that's what they're trying to help their students right. become, right? There's this whole thing about students becoming more resilient, having that yes. grit and, you know, taking ownership. Right. So it sounds like you <laughs> you went in already yes, with those True. competency, but it also sounds like, it made you like like narrow focus where sure. you could have benefited from other stuff, but yes. because you were so focused on totally. your logic model yep. of getting to the end goal that right. you just went for it. Right. You didn't well, even go to graduation. No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. And uh, in fact, my diploma is still in the thing that they sent it in. I didn't hang it up. I probably should do that. But no, you know, I think partially it's... Mm, maybe survival mode like this is this is what you do and this is 
you know, the path to get there. And it's a logical, thought out, step-by-step plan. Um, Not to say that there aren't things that come up that you have to then deal with or crisis manage a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, when I graduated from high school, my intention was to go to UMass Lowell with a um, a finance program, a unique finance program that they had offered. And same thing, I was still planning to commute from Nashua and drive down to Lowell. And um, I went through the orientation and then I got my tuition bill in the mail and it was full rate out of state. Um, I was under the impression that I was qualifying for in-state tuition because of the program that was being offered. And it I was wrong. So about two weeks before classes started, I walked away from that program and went to National Community College because that was the only place I could get in on such short notice. But it really was the best choice. And I think... In the, and same thing, like my intention there when I transferred to SNU was to go into accounting, but that really wasn't the right fit for me. So being the resiliency is so important when you're faced with adversity right. and then being able to analyze your options and then pick the best move forward strategy. And I think that for a lot of people, the decision-making skills, we don't teach these things to children, you know, analyzing opportunities and making decisions and having the confidence and self-worth to make the right decision for you. And when I meet young people now, I feel like I'm actively trying to talk them out of going to college. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I know this is going to be on the internet, but you know, if it's, if, if, Going to a four-year school and going into debt for tens of thousands of dollars is what you feel like you have to do, but you don't have the, the, your heart's not in it. Take a minute, like take a year, go work, go do anything else before you put yourself in that position. And, um, education is so important, especially leadership programs, um, I mean, the the education that's available online, podcasts, I mean, there are so many venues to learn what you need to learn. It doesn't have to be in a, in a certain box for everyone. Um, so for me, it's just being able to analyze things in the moment and then just picking one and going with it. And I guess one of the things that has been a recurring theme is ready- fire aim mm. most people ready aim fire and they spend their whole lives aiming and not really sure where to pull the trigger and for me it's you fire if it doesn't hit the mark that you were looking for you readjust and I just believe that everything happens in perfect timing in the way that it's supposed to happen and things come up but you learn from them and it may change your course but that's that's how it was supposed to go for sure. So let's fast forward real quick. So you graduate, you don't even go to your graduation and, you know, you're working for a bank and then you transition yeah. working for a technology company. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that experience like working for that technology company? And then um, how did you get to where you are now? What sure. influenced that? Yeah. So it was, um, I had a client at the bank who worked for this other company and, um, she helped me get the job. So when I started out, it's a, it's a reseller of, of technology. Mm -hmm. And I was working for a a presidential account manager 
customer service, order entry, those kinds of things. So very fast paced. Yeah, fast paced. Again, more crisis management. If things, right. you know, something came up, I had to be able to address it and deal with a potentially disgruntled customer, but um, always service-based, customer-facing. And um, I did that for a couple of years. And then I transferred over to product management. So using those marketing skills, designing programs that would incent the account managers to sell my line. It was funded by a vendor. So I had a certain um, product, you know, technology that I was representing. And we did a lot of fun things. We did concerts and sat in the green monster at the Red Sox games. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah, like lots of really fun stuff. We took 25 account managers to the Atlantis in the Bahamas. Um, lots of really fun stuff. But for me, at the end of the day, um, I really didn't feel like I had control over my destiny as far as promotions and growth within the organization. And, um, and, and when did you realize that? The reason why yeah. I, I think that's a really important point that you make because there's this very, you know, there's a, it, our workforce is a very fast pace, especially in the tech industry. Sure. And, you know, for, for young employees that are coming in, that are eager, that are ready to move. Right. Um, most of the time they reach that point within their career yeah. where they're like, you know, first it was, I got to get a job. Then you get the job. You're like, wow, I'm here. Right. Whoa, this is awesome. This was all about, you know, I can actually pay my bills. And then a couple of years down the, down the road and you're like, Hey, what's going on? What's, right. what's next? What's going, yes. what's happening? So what did you, what happened for you to reach that point where you started to evaluate? Okay. I, I think, um, Sure. I don't have I don't have control over my destiny here. Well, I think so kind of a parallel journey. So I was working for that company and in 2010 I um got my real estate license and it was actually the result of I had gone through a breakup and I really didn't know what I wanted to do or again I didn't have any activities that I was interested in and real estate was something I was always interested in so I said oh you know I'll get my real estate license how, <laughs> how hard could it be and um, the economy in 2010 was not great we had just kind of we we're kind of at the bottom um, a lot of foreclosures um, just lending lending had really tightened up so there wasn't a lot of um money available for buyers to go out and buy homes and it was just a very interesting market and um it was something that i would work full-time at my day job mm -hmm. and then on nights and weekends i would show real estate and every single weekend i would work in the office called uptime where if people called in to see a property, I would go out and show it or I'd have open houses on the foreclosure listings we had. And um, I did that. I did my moonlighting as a realtor for about three years. And in 2013, it got busy enough with real estate that I could see it as a viable career path. Did you, um, did you like doing real estate? I did. I do. I do. I enjoy it. Um, but again, it was a logical kind of more of a logical decision. And because um, at that point, you're carrying two different responsibilities. You're working yes. full time for this technology resell as a product manager. Mm -hmm. And then you're 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 selling houses on yes. the side. Sometimes they cross because I sold a lot of houses to people I worked with, which was oh. <laughs> was kind of probably so you were double dipping, a little double dipping. But uh, it was a good way to get started. <laughs> but it was, um, I think, you know, I was at a point in my real job that I had 
I had tried to get a mentor. I had applied for some jobs internally. And um, I think at one point I told my supervisor, like, I hope you die because oh, otherwise wow. I'm not going to get ever, ever going to get promoted. Because it was like leg- legacy employees. Yeah, huh? they were- right, right. People would stay and they wouldn't go. And um, if you were up for a promotion, sometimes we would call it the hometown discount where they would offer you the job, but it wouldn't be for market rate. It would be right. lower. And um, so after three years of, of kind of doing both, I was enjoying real estate and um, I had a book of, I had enough transactions under agreement that I felt comfortable leaving. And I think there was some sort of um, just, I I think I got fed up and I didn't rage quit. Like there was no profanity or violence um, when I quit, but it was, I was at a point where I felt like I had done all that I could do to stay in my job or stay at the company and my efforts weren't being um, rewarded, I guess, is is a way to put it. And um, the morning I quit, it really was, I can be very impulsive, that ready, fire, aim. Right. Um, so I called one of my best friends in the morning and I called my dad on the way to work and my best friend said, yeah, quit your job, you'll be fine. Um, and then I said, dad, you know, if I leave my job and I run out of money, you know, I'm going to come ask you for money. And he said, yep, you'll be fine. Do it. And at that same time, I was leaving my first real estate company to go to another real estate company. And that broker had said too, we're going to make sure you're busy enough to replace your income. But I will say that I didn't have health insurance for a few years. Um, I had already purchased a home. So I knew if I, that was one of my goals. So you you had some serious responsibility taking that I did. And that risk, essentially. Yes, right, right. So the the impulsivity sometimes is it, it it serves you and it doesn't serve you sometimes. But um, I was just kind of at a point, and again, you know, I wanted to make sure I left on good terms. So if I needed to come back, I know I could get a job there again. So I um I quit and I jumped into real estate full time. And I was at that next company for two years before I got my broker's license. And then, um, again, you know, there wasn't a lot of emotion going out on my own. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared. Um, it was a risk. It, I was obligating myself to a lease. I was spending money to develop a brand. But I always knew if worst case scenario, I can either go hang my license somewhere else. I can go get another job. Um, I have options. Like the worst case is still not terrible. So, right. and, and I always felt that if I didn't go try it and I, I would regret not trying. Mm. So how how do you get to that though? That that's a big thing you just said, right? Like, cause a a lot of people are, they kind of live in their head a lot. Mm. Rightfully so, because you know, if you can't, if you, if you can't take ownership to the responsibility of the actions that you take, then you're not ready to make the action. But when will you ever be ready? But for you though, how do you, how did you like contextualize it from an idea standpoint, but to also like actually acting upon it? Because I feel like that's such a, a critical intersection there. Well, same thing, you know, where I was at the company, um, I had transitioned to after I left my corporate job, I was at this new real estate company and I kind of was at a point where I thought, you know, 
this this ecosystem isn't for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've contributed what I could contribute. I have learned what I could learn, and it's time for me to go do something different. Um, but they're really, it's at some point you just have to pull the trigger. And I keep coming back to that same analogy, but uh, for sure, a lot of people have that apprehension or like you said, they're in their head and they just kind of psych themselves out of doing what they, they feel compelled to do. And again, I think that comes back to self-confidence, self-worth, wisdom versus logic. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, none of these were really, I think a lot of people say to me, well, weren't you scared when you went out and opened your own business? And I never was scared again. Uh, since then I went through this process of really kind of coming back to myself, coming Mm. back to, or, or discovering my own intuition and my emotions that I have tied into it. Because I think that although it served me well in a lot of ways, disconnecting from emotions, uh, is not the healthy thing to do. So being able to recognize your emotions, honor your emotions and deal with them and cope with them in a healthy way uh, has been a learning experience for me because up until really just a couple of years ago, and I think during Leadership New Hampshire, I was going through this, just beginning this process. But um, in business work mode, it's survival skills, it's logical decision-making, it's um, disconnecting your emotion from from your decisions. And it that has served me well, but um, there has to be a healthy balance of both. Because I think what I found was I was um, just bottling everything up, just handling things. And uh, stress manifests as disease. And if you don't deal with stress in a healthy way, it will come out at some point, whether it's six months from now in some sort of breakdown or 10 years from now as disease. So there was a point in the last five years or so that I, I um, recognized that and said, okay, I've gotten this far. These, these characteristics, characteristics have served me in business thus far, but to be a better leader, to be a better participant in my community, the emotional balance has to be in there too. So that's been new and uh, messy and exciting. So it sounds like the balance between, I I have this two things where I say the being and the doing. So the doing Mm. is the outside action that you do and the being is the internal movement that's happening within you and i think they're both equally important and sometimes i actually feel the being is more important than the doing because the being is is at the end of the day that's what differentiates all of us right even if you were um you know you were a set of twins and you 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 were identical your internal being is still different how you see stuff how you rationalize how it makes you feel is completely different so i i always tell people it's important for you to be able to identify the difference between the doing and the being and how those being align and it sounds like with you um the doing was 
going. Yes. You know, it, it kept you moving. It kept I was you a accomplishing champion stuff. of doing, yeah. And then the being, you, it sounds like you might have suppressed certain stuff that, totally. that you weren't being fully honest with yourself and yes. how that was happening. And then you had to kind of find that that equilibrium. Absolutely. And it's ongoing, right? It never stops. Totally. Because us as humans, we're... Yes. We're constantly evolving. We're, right. you know, we're experiencing stuff differently. We might, we think of stuff differently. Um, so let's talk about, um, so you started your own business, you know, in real estate, but you also had a proof of concept. So this wasn't just, you know, you didn't just think about, hey, you know, I want to do real estate. Sure. I really think real estate is a good thing. Oh, wow. How great would it be if I sold the house? Mm, that must be cool. But you actually got engaged with it early on, even when you were working full time for someone mm-hmm. else. And then when you left, you had your, you know, you were under a different entity. And yes. then, you know, after a couple of years being with a, a different entity as a realtor, you decided to step out and do your own thing. Right. So all those steps, it's progression, right? Right. Because where some people think that, you know, I'm just going to start tomorrow, brand new, right yeah. off the gate, you know. And I always tell people, you got to have a proof of concept. You right. got to have your own sandbox to right. play in and, and, and engage in that activity that you want to do. Sure. Well, and the patience and perseverance, right? Like now I'm nine years in. Mm-hmm. I've had my license for nine years. I've been open almost on my own for five years. And Wow, congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. We're going to have a real big party this summer, so... To be determined on the date. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something that um, you, I guess, just being able to hang in there. I mean, complacency sets in. I have a business coach that I pay to hold me accountable and to coach and train me. But as an independent, I mean, I work by myself most of the day. So, and that was something that was, completely different from working in corporate America cubicle farm where one of the best things about that job were were the friendships and the connections that I could go hang out in so-and-so's cube and catch up on the weekend and have that social interaction and for the first several years of my business I I didn't have that so I did spend a lot of time networking um, volunteering participating in boards but um, it's definitely not a get rich quick game and it's super frustrating it's isolating people don't understand um you know unless you've been through it you probably can't necessarily relate to the emotions of being an entrepreneur um and it's just it's something that you have to go through but also making sure you have a good network of family, friends, people who are supporting you emotionally so that you can hang in there and stick with it. Because there have been, I always joke that uh, realtor fatigue sets in probably late summer, early fall. And that's when recruiters will call to recruit each other companies. Or um, every year I feel like I have a conversation about selling my business and going to work for somewhere else. And uh, it's, it. The first year actually was very tempting. <laughs> yes, please take it all. I'm done with this. But and it, that was during the dip when things no, started slowing down. It was, was we were ramping height? up. This is probably 2015, 2016. Oh wow! I'd only been open for a short period of time, and I just thought, oh my god, what am I doing? So there are definitely moments of questioning yourself and questioning what you're doing and what the point is. And I think during Leadership New Hampshire, my 
current <laughs> current mantra was nail it, then scale it. So get really good at what I was doing and then open 10 other offices and have 400 agents. And then I quickly realized it's not how I want to spend my time. So <laughs> I've really refocused on being able to serve my clients and do a really good job for my people and supporting the agents that I have. But you just go through you have to be resilient. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is you're going to have adversity. You're going to have confrontation and conflict and crisis management. You have to be able to really check in with yourself and and decide how you want to move forward and have the forethought of how will this move forward strategy affect everything else. Um, wow, that's that's awesome. And and we are going to talk about your community involvement. But before sure. we talk about your community involvement, I do have one question regarding kind of your, your business model. What like what differentiates you? Right. Like if you because real estate is, this, uh, you know, being a realtor mm. like there's it's it's it's. It, sometimes I feel like it's overly populated. You know, there's, <laughs> there's so many different folks sure. like just ready to just, yeah. you ready to sell your house, you ready to buy a home. Hey, right, hey, right, hey. It's right. like, oh, hold on for a second. Where am I going to go? Yeah. But how, like, what differentiates your approach? Sure. What's your secret sauce? What's your model? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a slow way to build a business, but it's really referral based doing a great job for the people that have trusted you for the biggest purchase or sale in their entire lives knocking out of the park for them and asking them reminding them that you build your business on referrals and i think both of us being like service providers you have to you have to do a great job be exceptional especially new hampshire there are 9000 licensed real estate salespeople that's a lot of people. That's Everybody lot. knows a realtor. You could swing a dead cat and hit five realtors, um, especially in this market where everyone thinks it's so easy to make a bunch of money because things are moving so quickly. But there, and there are companies out there that are very transactional in business. They will buy leads. They will, um, you know, without much experience or market knowledge, go out and sell property. But really the sustainability and the strong foundation for a long-term business is providing exceptional service, being a market expert, being able to negotiate for your client's behalf. And then really when I'm out um, either at a listing presentation or having a one-on-one conversation with a new buyer, they're not even talking to anybody else because they've been referred by either a friend of mine or somebody I've worked with in the past. And to me... I like working with people that I like. And if I am focused, I my marketing efforts and my um, outreach is really focused to a targeted group of people. My ideal client profile, the people that I enjoy working with and educating my clients on how I work by referral and just saying to them, this is, you know, this is my livelihood. This isn't a part-time job for me anymore. Um, my, my job is to, to lead you through this transaction, to facilitate all of the paperwork, to guide you through, to help you with negotiations. And again, is it, is there, are there faster ways to build a business? Probably. But, um, this, in my opinion, is more sustainable for the long term. And it sounds like it fulfills you. It sounds like it's more authentic to you. I think so. You know, again, it's it's that service provider caretaker role um, that I do find fulfilling. And in in my 
uh, volunteer work too. That's something that to me being, um, maybe partially ego driven, but being able to be of service and of value to be an expert in my field is something that I definitely find fulfilling. And, um, again, it's, it's mutually beneficial to me because I'm fulfilled by my work. And then also to my clients, because I'm able to provide the service, um, that goes along with it. So you know that I wasn't just going to let that slide without asking so what does it mean to be ego driven for you what, what is that and you named it right it's good yes. that you named it self-awareness is the first step um you know people want to <laughs> is it a status thing is it accomplishment thing uh, is i think it for, for fulfilling something more for you internally all I'm of curious. the above okay. all of the above um and I'm, I'm thinking about my business coach when I say he, he had said to me a few months ago, do you believe in the golden rule? Treat people how you want to be treated. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, of course. He said, I don't, I believe in the platinum rule. Treat people how they want to be treated. Everybody wants to be made to feel important, to feel knowledgeable, to, to be recognized, um, to be appreciated. And I think for real estate, that is, it is, it does fulfill that for me because I am a market expert. I feel that I am a leader in my community, that people know that I'm a resource when it comes to the real estate market. And the, the relationship, um, that I have with my clients is that again, they're going through the biggest sale or purchase of probably of their life. And I play an important part in making that happen. So definitely, um, and for sure, if you're good at what you do, your pay is commensurate in, it's commensurate to the size of the problems that you solve. Right. And this is something that's a big event for people. So you are compensated appropriately and it can be very rewarding monetarily. So it's, it's definitely a multi faceted ego fulfillment, (laughs) um, being in this career, but also again, being aware of it and also making sure that I I am in it for the right reasons. It's not something that my goal is to be fulfilled, to have my ego inflated because I'm so good at what I do. But it comes from those one-on-one interactions where my clients do value my opinion. They, they appreciate me and they trust me. And that is a big part of the fulfillment. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And and thank you for taking the challenge of me (laughs) calling that out as I heard you say. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know um, from being a female entrepreneur, do do you feel like I'm I'm curious from your perspective, how has that been? Right. Because it's it's, you know, nowadays things are different. You're seeing more and more um, female entrepreneur, um, you know, starting their Mm. own thing. And it seems like our world is changing more and more and people are becoming or more adaptive or receptive but I also do know that there's still a ton of gaps. There's yes. still a ton, a ton of gaps. And so sure. I'm curious to know from your perspective, because a lot of my listeners are, you know, are female, are, are, are male, are, you know, so I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm being right. um, transparent in terms yeah. of what kind of information that you can provide in order to, to help right. educate us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first, one of the first things that comes to thought is when I worked at my corporate job, 
Um, one of the feedback items from one of my last reviews was that I didn't speak up enough in meetings. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a male counterpart that would talk a lot about nothing. And um, I just always felt that if I were to contribute to a conversation, I want it to be meaningful and I want it to add value. And I'm not just going to speak up just to hear my own voice. So something that I probably do again, like an overcorrection is I always want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. I do the research ahead of time. I listened to your podcast before I came in. Just <laughs> Thank to you make for sure. doing that. You're welcome. Uh, subscribed. I hit the subscribe, subscribe button. Yes. Um, and, you know, just really making sure. And I think that maybe is a female thing is that we want to to be authentic. We want to make sure that, um, if, if we're, if we're speaking up about something that it's true and that it's, um, of value, um, where, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times I have like a hyper self-awareness, maybe almost to a point that it doesn't always serve me because I may not speak up about something. I may not um, feel totally confident in in contributing if I'm not 105% sure. So I think from the female perspective, um, it's more of a, I don't know if it's like overcompensating or just there. there is a gap there. And we want to make sure that, or I feel like I want to make sure that it's not fraudulent, that it's not, um, that it's based in reality. So I guess it would be, I mean, I've definitely experienced mansplaining and, you know, kind of sometimes like a condescending role, um, where someone's being condescending to me because I'm young and I've been in a lot of leadership roles, but for somebody who doesn't know that about me, you know, it might be a different dynamic. Um, and I've caught myself again, ego driven saying like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> don't you know all that I've accomplished? Um, Go but, check my LinkedIn. yeah, seriously, didn't you see all of my credentials? Jeez. Um, but again, it's, that's a good reality check too, to say like, Hey, listen, you're never too important. You're never too educated. You, there are always things that you can learn. And, um, and just, I think trying to bring the, the feminine into such a masculine environment because business is again, that logical, that decision-making survival skills, that those, that's all very masculine energy, but trying to bring in, um, the the kindness the the love like treating people with respect treating people the platinum role treating people how they want to be treated um has been a learning experience for me but um you know i guess back to your original question as being a female entrepreneur it is different i guess i don't have much to compare it to because this is the only perspective that i know but um I think it just comes back down to if you have something that you're compelled to do or that you feel pulled to do, know that there will be adversity, but be strong enough to overcome it. And it doesn't matter if you're male or female. That's just something that if you're going to be in an entrepreneur role, you have to get comfortable with it. For sure. Thank you so much. And I could not have this 
podcast interview without talking about your community involvement. Sure. You've been so involved in your community. And I, w- I would love to hear, um, you know, s- some of your involvement and mm. also talk about why. Why was it important sure. for you to be, you know, plugged in at the level that you have been? Right. Um, well, I guess it started with um, <laughs> a, a conversation I you know, same time I got my real estate license, I was really trying to figure out who I was and what I was interested in, what I cared about. I really didn't have passion for much as far as anything outside of my own work, school, whatever. So, um, the first place I went was to the Nashua Y and I had a conversation with one of the directors there and he asked me, what do you want, what do you want to make an impact on? And I think I brought up the college thing. If I could tell kids anything, it would be try as many things as you can before you go into debt. Like really education is important, but this this is not the only way. And so at the time they were developing a program called Why Achievers that's funded by Fidelity. And it was pairing um, adults with junior high and high school kids about educating them on all of their options after high school. And so that program I was, I helped plan the curriculum and then implement and, um, probably two or three years into that, I met the CEO um, of the Y and we started talking about their board of directors. And I said, well, I've never been on before a board before. I don't know. I probably am not qualified. And he said, no, no, you are. Let's talk about it. So we talked about it for a few months and um, I joined the board of directors and that's going to be, it's been six and a half years. I was the president for two years and um, it's a different capacity uh, as a volunteer, um, it's not necessarily in direct service, like working with the kids, which selfishly is so fulfilling and it's immediate. So you get to see that experience and, and in the Y achievers program, seeing kids who start the beginning of the year as shy and not willing to share, not comfortable. And then seeing them evolve and kind of blossom was so rewarding and then to transition to the board of directors, we're helping to oversee an organization that serves over 30,000 people in our community. That's incredible. And to have the impact on the policy and the strategic plans of that organization just propels the impact that you're making. It's a different role. So you're not in direct service necessarily, but the mission is still the same. And Selfishly, I've learned so much about myself through serving on that board and through about my leadership style and my communication style and um, what areas are effective and what areas need improvement. And um, the why has been a big part of my life growing up. And then to be able to give back has been super rewarding. And through that, again, you know, that was my first board experience and I wasn't confident. And I think for the first six months, I didn't speak up. I didn't ask any questions. I just kind of watched. And then as I got more comfortable, I kind of blossomed and was able to contribute and, um, and step into more leadership roles, which then I was able to go out and serve other organizations. And I also serve on a city board, business and industrial development authority. And for that board, I, um, I attended the meetings. It's a board that focuses on, um, city owned land and determining a higher and better use for that land and then bidding it out and seeing the project through. And I was fascinated by development and I would attend those board meetings for 
two or three years before I actually got appointed to be on the board. And I think I've been on that board now for four years. So being able to contribute and make an immediate impact on the development in my city has been a huge learning experience from the development lens. And then also being able to contribute the shape of not necessarily the master plan of the city, but definitely different elements of the city. And I was born and raised in Nashua. I love Nashua. So something for me is just being able to make as much impact as possible um, in a positive way in my own community. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it seems like, you know, that balance where, you know, someone else is benefiting from the work, but you know that it's critical by being involved in it. And right. I think that's, it's for me personally, I think that it's really important to have that balance. The reward doesn't have to always come back to you, you know, from an <laughs> entrepreneurial side sure. side of things. It's a lot easier to be very result orientated mm. based on where your, you know, your plan is going, your project or your product. But when you're giving back, um, it's about how, uh, how other people benefit from it. And it, I think sure. it's, it's really cool. So for my last question for you, um, the theme and the title of my podcast is Persevere to Excel. And there's so many different ways that people can persevere in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your recommendation be for someone that's listening to to this podcast, listening to this interview, and um, they're, they're shuffling through so many different things. And, sure. you know, it might be more dramatic in terms of, you know, they, it's, it, they're in the forefront of it, or it might just be an idea that they've been wrestling with for so long that right. they're, you know, it's keeping them up at night. What would you say to them in terms of persevering to excel? So a couple of the f- questions I would recommend asking yourself is, um, and they're not easy questions, but what impact do you want to make? And that could be, and I and I think a lot of times there, in, in my opinion, is some confusion around, oh, figure out what you're passionate about and then go make money doing that. Um, to me, that's that doesn't have to be um, a combined journey, right? Like if you're passionate about photography, may not mean that you need to go out and be a photographer. If you're passionate about um, literally anything, if you can make money at it, great. Um, I don't think that it has to be necessarily, if you're passionate about something, go open a business doing that. Because business is very hard. Um, There are adversities that come up. And I don't... I would hate for people to to love something so much and then hate it by the time they're done the business part of it. Um, so it's good to have hobbies. It's good to be creative, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in a business venture to bring that to the world. And I think one of the podcasts I was listening to this morning, you were t- talking about your choreography and how you really think about the impact you're making on the audience. And to me, that's just such a gift to be able to be shared that you're thinking about the impact that you're making. You're not thinking about how much money you're going to make from that experience. So what impact do you want to make? And then also, what do you want to spend your time doing? And again, this this is an answer that can change. And when I was... When I was in Leadership New Hampshire, I definitely thought having a ton of agents reporting to me was logically like 
the dollars probably were were enticing. Like, okay, well, if I could duplicate what I'm doing here times ten, that's that's Lamborghini. Like, that's a, that would be amazing. But your life is consumed by work. You're putting out fires. You're crisis managing, and that ultimately wasn't how I wanted to spend my time. So thinking about that in the long term, and again bringing in that balance of spiritual evolution, focusing on yourself and your own personal development, your family situation, the impact you're making on your community and your business. So there are several different journeys happening at the same time. And I just think the self-awareness of how, what, what, whatever that quote is, the hyphen, right? Like by the time, from the time that you're born to the time that you died, what is the impact that you're making? And that is a question that is, is, uh, it's a big question, but I think that's one of the things that you can start with trying to figure out with what is your, what is your purpose and how do you bring that to as many people as possible? Well, Lydia, thank you so much for being on this podcast and you being transparent in, in this interview and, um, giving us, uh, so much of your experience and where you are and what you've been doing and, um, and how you've been contributing to the community that you're in and, and the journey that you're taking. Yeah. So I'm super excited to see um, everything that you have coming in the future. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. And for all my listener, um, you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, or on SoundCloud under Deo Muano Persevere to Excel. Thank you. <laughs>